Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. So as I said, our text for today, if you're joining with me in your Bible, is Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 through 34. Let us hear now the words of the Lord. So no one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, about what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than just food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your lifespan? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in his glory was clothed like was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who seek all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring troubles of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Oh, holy God, as we're gathered here in your house today, May we listen intently. May we hear your words. And in hearing your words, O Lord, may they be anchored deep within our souls so that we would leave this place transformed by them and with them echoing in our ears all the week long so that we are not just hearers of your words, but doers of your words. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So a question for you, I'm going to give you three names, and I just want to see if you can figure out what they have in common. So what did Deion Sanders, Gene Conley, and Bo Jackson have in common? Have you figured it out? They are all pro athletes, yes, but they are all pro athletes who were at the same time pro athletes in two different sports. Deion Sanders in football and baseball, Gene Conley in baseball and in the NBA. Matter of fact, he won a World Series title and an NBA championship in the same year. And then there's Bo Jackson, who is both baseball and football. Bo, who knows everything, knows this much. 
this is hard work to be a pro athlete in two different sports. And we remember the days on gone by that, pro, that athletes in college and in high school, multi-sport athletes were dime a dozen, but along the way there has been a specialization in youth sports such that at some point in a youth's career, they realize that they need to focus on the one sport they love the most to achieve some greatness. And with that, the feats of Sanders and Conley and Jackson have fallen by the wayside. See, what happens is we begin to specialize in one sport. We begin to realize that we're chasing a passion, that we're perfecting skills, that we're maximizing potential, and maybe even achieving a level of greatness that we would not have otherwise achieved if we spread out our efforts across multiple sports. As we think about this demise of the multi-sport athlete and the rise of the specialist, if you will, I wonder if there is something in there for us to learn. Something that we can learn from watching elite youth and college and pro athletes. Something that we can learn that might influence how we live our lives and practice our faith. And as we ponder that question and we look at today's text, we realize that's exactly what Jesus is trying to address. I mean, right out of the gate, he spells it very clearly. He says to the disciples, he says, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and wealth. Because if you try to do so, you're going to love one and be frustrated by the other or hate one and marginally like the other. And what he's really getting at in this text is he's talking about this, yes, it's about God versus money a little bit, but he's really looking at this idea of values. He says, in this life, we have a choice. We have God's values on one side of the equation, and we have the world's values on the other. And if we want to achieve greatness in the kingdom of God, if we want to be the people that God created us to be and live to our fullest God-given potential, as faithful followers, then we must prioritize on God and on God's values. As I think about that, it reminds me of something I learned years ago. Stephen Covey, you know, sort of the, the guru of, of helping people develop healthy habits and effective habits for business and for life in general. He wrote a book called First Things First. And this, he said, kind of think about all you need to do in your life. And he said, you know, you've got the things that matter most. Those are like the big rocks. And then there's the next thing. Those are smaller rocks. And then we're down to pebbles and finally a pile of sand. And he said, if you want to get all that to fit in a bucket, you've got to put what? The big rocks in first. Take care of the first things first. All the other pieces will fall in place. Well, Jesus is making the same point in this text that we've read today and talking to the disciples and as we overhear this conversation, he's making the same point to us about the first things. So the first things in the kingdom of God are life before food, which is really a conversation about abundance versus scarcity. It's about righteousness before wickedness. It's about how we treat each other and how we look at the world in front of us. And then it's about today 
before tomorrow. It's about focusing on the task that's right in front of us now. And what we learn is that if we set these as our priorities, if we choose God's values, then what we will achieve is this greatness in the kingdom of heaven. So he starts out right out of the gate talking about this idea of wealth and this idea of life and food. And it's worth noting that as he gets into this, remember, he's talking to the disciples. They're all commercial fishermen and tax collectors. They've all had other jobs. Remember how he called them? He walked by their places of business. He said, you, come follow me. He called them by name. He said, Peter, drop your nets. Come follow me. And so they've been following Jesus. And they're now out into the countryside and they're way up on a mountainside, and especially for the fishermen who they knew where their food came from. It came from the daily haul. And it came from selling fish. They're looking around on this mountainside. There's not a stitch of water anywhere. And it finally begins to sink into them. Wait a minute. How am I going to eat? How am I going to buy clothes? How am I going to take care of the business of life? It's beginning to set in on them. So he challenges them to think about this idea of God's values and begins this, this conversation about abundance versus scarcity, contentment versus greed, really boils it down to gratitude. Now when he starts off this thing where he said, where he starts off the scripture, he says, you know, it's God or wealth. It sounds like Jesus hates money. Let me be really clear. Jesus doesn't hate money. Money is not bad. It's what we do with it that matters. It's how we look at it. So we can look at the John Wesley version of money, where he had this idea of earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can, where all of a sudden money is what we are provided from the labor of our hands that God has given to us, and what we do with it in terms of the kingdom is what matters most. Or we can pick up what we see in movies like Wall Street or The Wolf of Wall Street or The Big Short where they, where they preach this, this sort of mantra of greed is good, and what you see is you see the protagonist who goes into these scenarios and loses themselves, loses their values, forgets who they are because they started following the green-eyed monster of grief. And only when everything crashes down do they have this sort of sobering up moment and realize that they've forgotten who they are and what they're about. So Jesus challenges the disciples. He says, do not worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear because isn't life more than clothing and food? See, the Gentiles pursue all these things, but God provides this. God in heaven knows what we need. And what he's really challenging you and I to think about in this is challenging us to think about the fact that the world tells us all the things that we should want, and God says, I provide everything that you need. I think about the story of the Israelites wandering in the desert for 40 years. They're wandering around. In addition to whining about when are we going to get there, and we're not there yet, in addition to doing all of that, what else happens? God provides food. Every night, the manna falls from the heaven. In the morning when they wake up, they have plenty of food to eat. But yet what happens? At some point, in the midst of all this constant abundance that God provides, the Israelites get to a place where they decide, maybe we should 
pack some leftovers. Maybe we should pack a snack for the day. And what happens to it? They don't trust God provide, and it rots as they go along their journey. What they learn from this is they learn to trust God, that God gives them what they need when they need it. And then we come back to the disciples. Now we know the rest of the story. The disciples, they too realized this, this whole conversation about abundance versus scarcity, that they had exactly what they needed. They were never hungry. When there were 5,000 people gathered around, what did God do? God provided for them. On the night of the Last Supper, Jesus provided the meal of the kingdom. Bread and wine, body and blood. And so what we can take from this, what we can understand is that, yes, we still need to work. We still need to be gainfully employed to put food on our table. But let's really get our priorities straight about what we're chasing. Because what we begin to realize as we look around the room, that there is abundance here, that everything we need to be great people, to do people that God wants us to be, there's an abundance of those gifts in our lives. But what we want to be to be a great congregation, there's abundance of gifts in this congregation to be a vital church for our community. If we want to transform the world around us, there's an abundance of opportunity and abundance of gifts that you and I possess and a calling that we hear to go forth and be doers of the word. And so just as we have that abundance, and we begin to understand this idea of God's values about living life and seeing that more than just chasing the material, Jesus quickly moves the conversation to righteousness. This idea of seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and all these things we've given unto you. What he's essentially telling us to do is, now that you've learned to trust me, that I'm going to provide what you need, to trust me and stand up for choose the right way of living. Choose righteousness, not wickedness. See, you and I, we're called to share our abundance. We're called to share our status and opportunity with the world. We're called to not just equality for each other, but equity. You know, the difference between these two is, think about, a, think about uh, the Olympics and think about track and field. In the 100-yard dash, all the, all the racers, all the contestants, they line up on the same line, and when the gun goes off, they run 100 yards straight ahead. Because it's just a straight shot, everyone lines up equally, and the finish line is fair for everyone. But when they start to do distance races where there's the curves that you've got to run around and everything else, when they have to stay in their lane, what happens? If everybody started at the same spot and ended at the same spot, the people on the outside would have to run further. That's not fair. So what happens in terms of equity is they get a leg up. So if you notice that the runners on the outside, they get to start further ahead. They get a a head start, if you will. And when you do all the physics and all the math, they're running the same distance. They end at the same spot. But equity says they got a leg up so that everyone gets to the finish line or has a chance to get the finish line together. 
And so my friends, when we're called to seek righteousness, we're called to seek equity for each other in the world, to see those that need a leg up, that may not have the same advantages that we do. Why? So that we can all get to the finish line at the same time. So we start to adopt this idea of God's righteousness. We make that our priority. Then what we know that we leave behind is that we leave judgment behind and we let God deal with judgment. Instead, we learn to lean on on his teachings instead of our own beliefs, our own opinions. We learn to lean on the gospel and the gospel way of living. We begin to endeavor to fix the ills of the world, the things that we prayed about just a few moments ago, things like violence and disaster and immigration and strife and hunger and poverty and discrimination. We begin to ask ourselves, what would Jesus do in these scenarios? How would Jesus want us to lead? And when we lead that way, we're making a difference because we realize that's who we are called to be and what we are called to do. Leading lives of righteousness means that we are honest with ourselves. We're honest with what we see in the world around us. We're honest about what makes us feel uncomfortable, where we struggle, and then we work in that area. So if we struggle with equity, helping folks get a leg up, then that's where we need to do the hard work of faith. It's to see where that doesn't mean that we are being diminished, but that we're actually helping the kingdom grow. We need to take our shadow selves, those parts of us that we, want to, we don't want to admit that exist at times, the dark side of us. And we need to push that to the corner and stay in the light, the light that God calls us to live in. See, because we have a choice each and every day, we, get, we have a choice. Can we choose righteousness or do we choose selfishness? Do we choose God's values or the world's values? And when we choose righteousness... We're serving the right master, and we're achieving that greatness in the kingdom of heaven. Which finally leads us to this idea of time. I love that Jesus ends this conversation as part of the passage with, do not worry about tomorrow, it will come. Today has enough trouble of its own. I mean, friends, we're tempted to do this. We're tempted to make a whole list of what we need to get done this week and start worrying about things that are happening at the end of the week rather than what's right in front of us today. The end of the week will come, but today is right here. And anyone that's been through a 12-step program or some kind of an exercise training program like Couch to 5K or a marathon in a year knows that you've got to take it one day at a time. Friends, when we decide that we want to adopt God's values versus the world's values, that's also what we're saying, is that we're going to work on God's values one day at a time. We're not going to all get there at the same time necessarily unless we work on them each and every day. And we focus on today, and we don't worry about the finish line. We focus on it right now, what's right in front of us. So the world wants us to worry about tomorrow, but when we do that, we miss the opportunities and the joy and the wonderment that happens today, right here, right now. Because today is where the rubber meets the road of our faith in action. Our choosing God's values or the world's values. 
So think about those two sport athletes. I think about Jordan. I mean, I think about Bo Jackson. I think about Deion Sanders or Bill Conley. I think about how remarkable their feat was and how now we've sort of let the two-sport athlete, the vision of that sort of demise, to a focus. And then I think about what just happened in the last couple of weeks. It was announced, you know, that Tom Brady, you know, the greatest quarterback of all time, 23 seasons in the NFL, that he's finally going to retire. We'll see if he actually does it or not. But the sports world is all excited in this sense that, that he's, now that he's retiring, he is the last he is the last pro athlete that has any connection to the Montreal Expos. That's a baseball team. See, what happened was that he was drafted uh, 24 years ago by the Expos, and he had a choice, do I play pro baseball or do I pursue this football idea? And he looked and he says, I can't do both. I want to do football. And so he didn't sign a contract with the Expos. See, Jesus comes to you and me, and Jesus says, follow me. And God's values are following me, he says. It's about choosing life. It's about living righteousness. It's about focused on today and not the world's values. It's if we want to achieve this greatness in the kingdom of heaven, then we've got to decide which master we're going to follow. God or the world. And when we choose God's values, we achieve a greatness beyond what we can imagine. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.